This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Welcome to Getting Your House in Order, the series that I decided to have in Second Wind because in order to be our best, we have to feel our best and be as healthy as we possibly can. And it is my goal to bring all of the modalities and all of the ways, all of the stuff to you. And I'm also willing to be your guinea pig and try all of the ways and all of the things and all of the stuff. So here we go. This episode is with Eliza Baco, and we are going over my GI mapping results. Her podcast, her episode was on a few weeks ago. Take a look at that if you want to understand why this might be a good idea and why it probably is a good idea for everyone. Because our bodies tell us a story. Our gut is the seat of everything, including our soul. So that includes sleep, hormones, digestion, absorption of nutrients, emotions, mindset, everything. I have personally been through three or four different protocols in the last three years, and I've spent thousands of dollars. And yes, there were improvements, absolutely. But when I got the latest test back of heavy metals, toxicities, things started creeping back up and it just didn't make sense to me. And I was like, oh, I have to be on these protocols for the rest of my life. That doesn't make sense. I don't want to spend this kind of money every month all the time, nor did my husband, to be quite honest. What do you do? Well, thank goodness, because of diving into this podcast and listening to the universe and starting it, I came across Eliza. So we did the GI map. And my results tell the story of why these protocols didn't work as 100% as they should have. They weren't bad protocols by any means. My gut wasn't ready to be able to heal and be able to keep me moving forward in the right direction. It's hard to explain, but... The protocols that I had been on because my gut wasn't where it needed to be and hasn't been probably since I was a teenager, I thought that having to go to the bathroom every morning four to six times and losing all kinds of weight was a good thing. And honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of weight to lose. I thought I was losing toxicities. I thought that's what I needed to do. I felt great getting compliments about how thin I was getting because that's that ego thing. Honestly, I felt good. It was nice to have a flat tummy, kind of. 
However, I was weak. And I didn't feel like doing all the things I normally do. I became a little less motivated to like get on my Peloton and things like that. So it probably wasn't working to my benefit because no one really should be pooping four to six times every morning. Just doesn't make sense. I'm so glad I came across Eliza and she came into my world and I did the test. It's not that expensive, totally worth it. And what you'll hear today is our Zoom call about my test results. And you're going to learn all of the different areas of your gut, all the different little ides and osses and all those words and what they mean and what these little guys do in our stomach to keep us healthy. Our bodies are supposed to heal themselves. We just have to get them to the point where they can do that. And unfortunately, the environment that we live in, the things that we do, our lifestyle, just being on this planet right now, things are not going to always go well in our bodies. Things are going to get stopped up. Peter is always going to steal from Paul to pay Peter. It's just going to happen. And that's happening in your body all the time. I hope you enjoy this. and. I hope that you try, whether it's with Eliza or someone else, to get the results of your GI mapping, your gut, and get healthy. And join me on this really cool ride of our second wind. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so we're going to start from the very beginning. Even if you have a section where there's no pathogens, we're still going to talk about it and the importance of it for gut health. Um, so um, it's great that actually one of the benefits of the time that we're living in now is that everyone understands PCR tests. So this is a, um, a PCR test, basically, of your stool looking for various organisms, DNA of those organisms that could be living within your gastrointestinal tract. So remember that we have the small bowel, we have the large bowel. When the food is going through the small bowel, it breaks down into chyme, into sort of this like liquid mush um, that we need it to be broken down into, to be absorbed. You have all these little beautiful little hairs that line the gut um, that are villi and then microvilli on top of them that help increase the surface area of the gut. So if you were to lay it all out, you actually have enough surface area in your gut to fill the top of a tennis court. And in all of that surface area, you have microbes. Some are good, some are bad. It's really more about the balance than it is about anything else. Mm -hmm. And so when you have imbalance in the gut, um, some of those hairs start to die. They get weak. They don't produce digestive enzymes. If you don't have enough beneficial bacteria, it's difficult to digest and absorb food. And the small intestine is very important, right? Because it's there for absorbing your nutrients. And this is how our cells get food, right? So when we're talking about keeping the gut healthy, we're really talking about keeping the rest of our body healthy because that's how we get nutrients for ourselves. And so anytime we have an imbalance can come from pesticides in our food, previous antibiotic use, 
especially people that have had multiple rounds of antibiotics that kills good pathogens for up to six months to a year. And if you don't have re-inoculation or replacement of those organisms, then you get long-term consequences from that. Um, and also pathogens. So ingesting pathogens from undercooked food, um, parasites, whatever it may be. Um, and so we're going to go through the test section by section. Now we probably know the tip of the iceberg about gut health at this point, right? So we're going to see this test probably continue to expand. Just last year, they added a couple of commensal good bacteria to here and we study it. We learn about it. So this first section is bacterial pathogens. Um, now, these are guys you don't want any of. And typically, these come from undercooked food. So when you don't have any of these like you don't have right now, I typically use this as an opportunity to kind of educate you on the importance of um, when and if you do eat meat or anything like that to make sure it's well cooked. Um, and so Vibrio, like you get that from eating raw oysters and, and raw shellfish and things like that, things that are undercooked. Sugar like E. coli's and E. coli's come from undercooked beef and poultry, salmonella, undercooked poultry, dairy, things like that. Um, and so it's really important here because you don't have these pathogens that we want it to stay that way, right? Oh, so that's uh, good. So far, it's good. So far, that page is good. Um, parasitic, the parasitic pathogens still don't have any viral. I don't have any, correct? Yeah. So parasitic pathogens, you do not have crypto and Tamiba or Giardia, which is good. Um, again, this is another opportunity I use. You can get Giardia in the U.S. just like you can in Costa Rica. Um, be discerning about the places that you eat, um, make sure they have good hygiene. Um, you wash your hands before you eat. It's really important. This is typically fecal to oral contamination. When you get these type of parasites, um, you can elaborate yourself to that. <laughs> I don't have to explain. I wash my hands, people. That's what that is. Okay. And make sure that people that are preparing your food are washing their hands or wearing gloves. Yes. Viral pathogens, you did not have any of these. Typically, these are self-limiting, right? You get a norovirus from a kid from school um, that's had an outbreak and you have diarrhea and vomiting typically for 48 hours. When your immune system is healthy and your gut takes care of this, it's what we call self-limiting. We typically just do supportive care, but you don't have those right now, which is great. Okay. Now, the next section, we start to see some issues. Um, so you have a pathogen called Helicobacter pylori. H. pylori is what we call it. And he actually resides and lives in the stomach. He drills little holes into the mucosal lining of the stomach wall, and he secretes a, um, a compound called urease, and he disrupts the acid balance of the stomach. The normal pH of the stomach should be one to two, a very acidic environment, which is good because it helps you digest your food, break down your food and kill pathogens. When that pH is disrupted or the pH is elevated from this pathogen or, um, or it's changed, lowered, this pathogen can actually lower or um, increase the pH of the stomach. Um, pathogens can actually, other pathogens can grow in that environment. Now, the problem with this guy is that um, he is implicated in causing ulcers in the stomach because of how he functions. Um, and also what we call dyspepsia. So an imbalance in that acid balance, um, belching, burping, bloating, those things. 
and acid reflux. But typically most people don't have that classic. I have burning in my esophagus. It's belching, bloating, sometimes a cough. Um, and in less than 5% of the population with virulence factors, you'll see this implicated in the development long-term of stomach cancer. So we typically do like to treat it if you're symptomatic, which you are symptomatic because of the bloating that you describe. And so you do not have any virulence factors. Virulence factors just means that he's mutated. He's more aggressive and can be more pathogenic mean disease causing, but you do not have any of those virulence factors, which are great, but you can imagine that this guy, remember E to the second, there's two zeros behind that, right? So you have 5,000 colony units of this little guy in your stool. Okay. So this guy lives in your stomach. So we can assume if he's being excreted in the stool, that he's a much higher concentration in your stomach. And we need to treat him and get rid of him. And so we'll talk about the protocol that we have for that, a natural protocol that will not disrupt other bad, good bacteria in your stomach um, to treat. We can treat this and, and support your body in a natural way. Question. Mm-hmm. So you're saying pH is one to two is normal. Does that five mean? No, no. So what has nothing to do with your pH? This is okay. just the amount of bacteria of how many. that they count. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All these little numbers are the colony units of the bacteria that were detected. Okay. Okay. The next section is your normal, what we call commensal bacteria. These are the good guys, but we don't want these guys overgrown either. And this is why it's really important to be on the right probiotic. I think maybe I was on the wrong one. Yes, probably. Um, now it's also important when it comes to probiotics, um, that you also have the right amount of them, but also the right type, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean you can't take a lactobacillus probiotic. It just means that, and you will need different types of support through the protocol, but it probably means long-term you may need less of that. Um, and so it's really important. Sometimes people don't really need probiotic supplementation every day either, but again, Mm -hmm. these guys being high is not good either. So let's look at the levels. So your levels are okay. Bifidobacterium, bacteroides, enterococcus kind of in the middle. Your lactobacillus is high. Your clostridia, which is a spore forming probiotic is low. Enterobacter, low end of normal. Acromantia menisophilia is high. Now let's talk about that one specifically. So Acromantia menisophilia is actually considered like a keystone species in the gut. It produces mucin, like a mucin um, producing bacteria that helps the gut lining. Um, So helps with decreasing inflammation. It's also the metabolic bacteria. So we see this in people that have very low levels implicated in people with inability to lose weight and diabetes. But guess what? When it's too high, we actually see this implicated in potential development of autoimmune disorders. So this is a good example of people be like, oh, Uncromantia, the the metabolic bacteria, I want to have too, way too much of that. That sounds great, right? But not because again, it's about the balance. So we actually need his level to be a bit lower um, as well. So we're going to do some things to reduce that a little bit. Um, your phylomicrobiota ratio is fine. We're really just looking at a ratio there of different groups of bacteria. The next section is where we have a lot of problems, problems that have been here for years. And I'll explain in a little bit how I know it's been like this for a long time. Now bacillus, there's a lot of debate in the gut health world about 
is bacillus good or bad? And so I'm in, I have feet in both of those camps. <laughs> I believe he can be good and I believe he can be bad. When he's overgrown, I think he can cause problems. So we really need him at a lower level because yours is very high. And sometimes we see this elevated in um, co-infection with Helicobacter pylori. Um, now, again, opportunistic bacteria is exactly what they mean. These guys live in the gut. All of these pathogens live in the gut. The problem is when they have an opportunity to take up space and overgrow. And these guys have had a lot of opportunity to take up space and overgrow, and they're causing you a lot of problems in your gut. The Efe callus is there, not completely overgrown, but we're detecting it, right? The Enterococcus facium is there. It's not overgrown, but we're detecting it. You have very high levels of Pseudomonas. Remember, we're adding four zeros to that level. Um, so that's 7 million, right? A lot. And so, um, he actually is implicated in inflammation, can be toxin producing as well, um, can cause lots of intestinal inflammation, bloating, chronic intermittent diarrhea and constipation. Um, now the Staphylococcus aureus is very high as well. Um, and he can be toxin producing. So when we start to kill this and lower the level of it, this is what sometimes can make you not feel so good. Also implicated with inflammation and diarrhea at times. Now, streptococcus is interesting. You have quite a bit, bit of overgrowth of that. He's I, a lot of people I see with streptococcus have bloating, lots of bloating. And he's actually correlated with helicobacter um, pylori infection. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been on an acid reducer? Um, like a GERD medication, Protonix, Pepsid, Zantac, Nexium, anything like that? No, but starting back in high school, I used to have such bad stomach cramps that I would like eat Tums on end. Back in high school, girl. Back yeah. So we see this high a lot in people that have been on acid reducers, people that have a disrupted acid balance stomach and their stomach, either because of H pylori or because of taking too many acid. I'm not, I would say I haven't been doing that in probably at least 15, 20 years. Yeah. But still remember, unless you rebalance the gut, like yeah. these guys are going to hang out and grow and, and your stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, um, he's just really implicated in bloating and we do a very specific thing to kill him because he typically is not killed by traditional methods. And so we do a very specific thing to bring that lower, that level down. Again, these guys can hang out and be there. Like, I won't be upset when we do a retest if they're below that normal level and they're kind of hanging out there as long as your symptoms have resolved and they're not overgrown, you know, they don't have to be undetectable in this section. Again, it's about the balance, right? Now, the next section is very important because again, now who will flip over and develop an autoimmune disorder and who will not, this is still something we don't know. So correlation is not causation, right? This is not saying, oh my gosh, Wendy, you have these three bacteria. You're going to develop rheumatoid arthritis. You're going to develop IBS, blah, 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 by irritable bowel disease. But what we know about these bacteria in the next section is that they are correlated with autoimmune disorders. And there's some implication there. Now it's probably about multifactorial, right? What's the environment of the body? Are you eating really bad food? 
Do you have a history? What's your genetic history, right? We think it's all about the genes all the time. And we've had all this science about it, but don't forget, depending on the environment you put your body in, we can, we know that we can turn genes on and off, right? That genes can be expressed or not expressed. Mm -hmm. And so again, I really approach this section with love and care about explaining to you your mind matters too, right? Your mind and what you think about your health actually matters. So this doesn't mean you're going to develop an autoimmune disorder. It just means these bacteria here and they're correlated with that. Now, specifically the Citrobacter frondii there, it's not really overgrown, but he is there. Um, and he's actually implicated with lots of inflammation in the intestinal wall and irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so I do actually like to kind of get rid of him. Provitella fusobacterium, we see a lot of these pop up on GI maps. Provitella especially is implicated in joint pain, rheumatoid arthritis. So I will see some people that have this overgrown say, you know, I don't have an autoimmune disorder, but I definitely have joint pain in my feet and my knees and my fingers and my hands. And you go through a protocol and they say, I can't believe it. Like the, I thought the pain in my feet would never go away. And it does. Fusobacterium implicated in irritable bowel disease. And so again, these levels aren't super high, but I would love to see them kind of cut in half. I would just like to see more, a little bit more of the good guys and less of the bad guys. Okay. And again, more of a balance in your good commensal bacteria. Now, one of the good things is you do not have candida. Okay. Candida overgrown. Again, candida lives in the gut. We all have candida in the gut. We all have candida on our skin. The key is when the micro balance gets imbalanced and it overgrows and it's very difficult to kill. So I would say one positive, even though you have some issues that we got to work on is that you don't have overgrowth of candida. Hooray, because it's typically a prolonged four to six month protocol. It can take a long time and can be really difficult to treat. Now, the next viral section is CMV Epstein-Barr. Just because these do not pop positive does not mean you haven't been exposed to them. It just means they're not active and activated in the gut. They can live in the gut. They can be activated and cause problems there, but you do not have that, which is great. They are linking that with uh, being a the underlying problem for, they're saying now, tons of diseases and cancer. Oh, yep. Epstein-Barr, yes. There's all kinds of new mm -hmm. studies. So yeah, yeah. Epstein-Barr is implicated in a lot of things. But again, when the rest of the body is imbalanced, even if these are positive in the beginning, when you rebalance the gut and you do a, a appropriate protocol, they will go away. Yeah. It's more about like if you have a chronic environment of inflammation, a chronic environment of people eating high-carb, high-sugar diets, which causes overgrowth of bad bacteria, suppresses the immune system. Then you see the body's not able to uh, manage it the way it's supposed to, right? And then you flip over to disease, right? right? Protozoal parasites, you did not have any of those. Check, 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 because those are hard to kill too. You didn't have worms, yay. Yay! <laughs> Typically yeah. people know if they have worms because they see them in their stool. So that's not really ever a surprise on a test. They're like, I know I have worms. Oh God. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. I've got enough to do. Okay. You do know I have to deal with worms. Um, so the next section is about your intestinal health. And so we have some red flags here. Um, so the steatocrit is the measure of the fat in the stool. Remember when they made those chips? a long time ago that had olestra in them 
and yeah. they caused people to not absorb fat, but the, the consequence was you had anal leakage of your fat in your fatty stools. Right. Um, and I was like, this is the greatest thing. Don't absorb fat. That's not a good thing. Like you want right. to absorb fat. You need it for your body. You need it for your brain. You need yeah. it for your nerves to, in, to line the nervous system. And so steatocrit actually measures fat in the stool. If you're releasing fat in the stool, typically your stools will float. Um, you are not doing that, which is good. That means you're absorbing fat, which is good. Your body needs that for um, health. Okay. Floating poop. No, you don't want your poop poop to float. It should not float. Okay, didn't know that. All yeah, right. typically floating poops usually mean you have fat in the stool. Um, elastase. So elastase is a marker of digestion, intestinal health. It's a pancreatic enzyme. It helps us digest carbohydrates, proteins. Um, yours is very low. Ignore that, um, that range on the right. You should be greater than 500 if you have normal pancreatic output of enzymes. And so yours is very low at 196. So, uh, typically people that have this and typically people that have overgrowth of strep will tell me, like before I even put a morsel of food in my mouth, like when I'm just starting to eat, I just start to eat and I get bloated almost like immediately. And that's because the mm -hmm. digestive system is not primed and ready to digest food. This is why I make a big deal about the bloggers and the people out there that are showing their bloated bellies after the meal, like so proud of themselves. I'm like, you guys, I love that you're trying to help people with their body image, but you actually have a digestive capacity problem. <laughs> You should not be that bloated after you eat. Like you just shouldn't. It's not about how you look. It's about your digestive. Capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really bloated right now. I just had a little bit of this rice stuff, but alas, alas taste. So does that mean, is that a precursor for like a problem with your pancreas? Not necessarily. It's just saying that basically you're not having great output, right? And we need to re-stimulate the digestive system, rebalance the digestive system and support you a little bit with the, some, some enzymes. Okay. Now the next section is really interesting. Um, beta glucuronidase is, um, an enzyme that actually helps with estrogen excretion. Um, so there's this whole process that happens when you have multiple pathways in the liver that break down estrogen, right? A hormone, and it gets conjugated and excreted in the stool. And so this is a normal way that we bind and excrete toxins. So like I noticed in your thing, you were talking about, you had problems with heavy metals. I'm assuming you've had a test, like a hair mineral test. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, if, okay, I'll say this carefully, <laughs> no one should ever be on a GI detox and a heavy metal detox at the same time. You cannot do a heavy metal detox until your gut is healed. The digestive system should always be healed before anyone ever tries to undergo a heavy metal detox. Okay. Because That's if you cannot bind and excrete toxins properly through, okay, think about our excretory systems, right? The urinary system, the digestive system, even our pores, right? That's really an excretory system if you think about how we sweat. But this bothers me a lot. You can tell because you have practitioners out there focused so much on heavy metals. The body does its own thing with heavy metals. It will bind and excrete them, right? If the digestive system can handle that. And if it cannot, it will store them in places, right? 
just because they have stored heavy metals doesn't necessarily need, mean you need to release them into circulation <laughs> and start that process over again, especially if the digestive system is dysfunctional. And so it sort of bothers me a lot because you'll see a lot of people out there, heavy metal detox, do this, or they'll just check the heavy metal piece and put people on a detox, but then they never check the gut health. And then people get constipated and then people go on a heavy metal detox because they can't bind and excrete the toxins no matter what they do. Even if they're on a binder, like even if you have someone on a charcoal binder, which by the way, binds nutrients too. So you have to be really careful. You have to have a healthy digestive excretory system happening before you can do that. But a lot of times, and I'm really big on this, like if you feed your body, right, if you have a healthy digestive system and you can use lots of natural foods to bind and excrete heavy metals, wild blueberries, wheatgrass, all these other things, spirulina and your diet, your body will do this naturally and it will release it in a process that's natural for it rather than expelling it and making it do it, especially when you don't have a healthy digestive system. Cause I get asked that question a lot about heavy metals. It makes sense. It's and like to, a painting on a canvas. That's already got all kinds of colors on it. How are you going to make a nice painting? You want to like have the canvas clean. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So that result I have, what does that mean? So the beta-glucuronidase is okay, but you're sort of creeping up to almost abnormal. So when the beta-glucuronidase is high, it actually means there's dysbiosis by bad bacteria. And this can actually mess with making that estrogen release from that binding that helps excrete it and makes it recirculate in the body. And this is when you start to see estrogen dominance. Yep. And, yep. And so again, a lot of people will try and just fix that and like put you on things to bind that or to excrete estrogen. But if you fix the dysbiosis, remember, go back to root cause, always back to root cause, back to root cause. If you fix the dysbiosis, the beta-glucuronidase levels typically go down and then you'll see that whole process unravel and you'll start excreting, binding and excreting estrogens, the estrogen metabolites properly. Does that make okay. sense? It's a little complicated. No, I got it. Um, occult blood, this test for occult blood in the stool, you had none, which is great. Um, typically if we see blood in the stool, we'll then refer you out to a gastroenterologist for a colonoscopy because we want to make sure you don't have anything else crazy happening in your colon. Mm -hmm. Had none, which is great. Now, this is how I know you've been having issues for a while or that you've been fighting pathogens for a while in the gut. So the SIGA or the secretory IgA is actually the immune system of the gut. It's the immunoglobulin of the gut. So this guy is there looking and hanging out for inflammation or pathogens that come by so he can activate the immune system so they can bring other guys to attack and get rid of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you want this at a nice, healthy level. We'd like to see this somewhere between like a thousand, 1200, right? Like we want the immune system guys there. We don't want them hyperactive, even though I'm happy if they're hyperactive. Like if you get norovirus and they activate and they kill the norovirus and get him out of there, they're doing their job. And then the secretory IgA goes back down. Now your secretory IgA is very low, very, very low. So it actually is indicative of immunosuppression in the gut. So Basically, he's probably been working for a while 
and really does not have a capacity to mount in a response. So actually tell people when your secretory IgA is low, you can be a little bit more susceptible to digestive infections. So being careful to, during the protocol is important. Um, but also too, um, he can't even help you with the pathogens that you have. Mm -hmm. He's been helping you. He's so tired. He's so tired. <laughs> so bad. I am so sorry. <laughs> And so actually going to fight all by himself. <laughs> he's been actually really busy and he's tired. So he's like, I'm going to just go over here and I have nothing left to give you. Oh um, so actually the first month of the protocol, we're going to just focus on that, on the immune system of the gut and rebuilding that. Now, this is the analogy I used, albeit extreme. Keep in mind my history of working in the ICU for 16 years. The best example of this I can give is this. You have a patient in the ICU who has cancer, they're immunosuppressed from chemotherapy and from the cancer, they get an infection, they come to the ICU, they're very sick. We give them lots of antibiotics and they still are dying and not doing well. And their family members are always like, why Eliza? I don't understand the antibiotics are going to kill the infection, right? No, the immune system helps kill the infection. The antibiotics do help kill or decrease the amount of the pathogen, but you have to work with the immune system in conjunction with the antibiotics to do that. Right. So if I just try and blast you with a lot of things to kill some of the bad pathogens in your gut, but I don't try and get your immune system and your gut to work with me, we're not going to have a good outcome. Albeit, that's my extreme example. Um, it's just because of my history. Um, obviously this is not life or death, but this is your health. And so we're going to work on building the immune system of your gut first so that when we then start the remove part of the protocol, your immune system is going to say, all right, I see you guys coming to help. Thank you so much. I'll beef up my activity a little bit because I'm doing a little better. I'm going to help you. And so it actually will help some of the natural things that we're going to do for you. And your immune system is going to work with us and you'll get better removal of those pathogens. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because your immune system is trained to know which of those pathogens up there in your gut are bad or good. And right. so sometimes, actually, sometimes our herbs and essential oils know too. Like we know that for a fact that lavender targets very specifically bad bacteria and will ignore good bacteria. Plants are smart that way. And oh. your immune system is smart that way. But some of the things that we use are all killers. And so, you know, um, so we have to kind of be careful with that too. We really want to make sure and beef up your immune system first. Now I do believe you're gluten-free because you're anti, <laughs> I say that because people are like, I'm totally gluten-free. And they're like, well, you're getting gluten somewhere because your gluten antibody is. Well, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent gluten-free. No, 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 no. But well, I then this probably actually means that you don't have an immune response to gluten in your gut because your anti-gluten antibody is not that high. That's the anti-gluten IgA there. That's an antibody against gluten, the protein in um, gluten. And so it's really not that high, not that activated right now. We'll still have you go without grains and gluten during the protocol because that can aggravate the digestive system. But what this tells me is probably long-term, you don't have to be gluten-free, um, all the time. Um, of course, gluten in America is very different. It's got a lot of roundup on it. Um, it's been hybridized. All of our wheat is very gluten heavy. So I still tell people to avoid it as much as they possibly can, but you don't have this again, this is not testing for celiac. That's a totally different test. This right. is just saying, do you have an immune, you know, inflammatory response to gluten in your gut? Mm, you don't have a strong one. 
Now the next level is calprotectin. Calprotectin, which is diagnostic for irritable bowel disease, um, ignore that result on the right. We typically like this less than 10 to 20. And so yours isn't super high, which is great. The reason why this matters is you have some inflammation happening there, but it's not off the charts. And this is basically telling us you have white blood cells infiltrating the lining of the intestinal tract because of the inflammation and some of the processes that are happening there. I would like to see it lower. I mean, your calprotectin can be zero. I see a lot of calprotectins that are zero, um, but it's not crazy high. I also see a lot of calprotectins that are 200, 250, um, super high. And so, um, but we still have some work to do. Basically, uh, I've, I've been in like, you know, the fight or flight. I've been fighting. Yes. For a really long time. Yes, but you're doing a good job with your body because if you were super and inflamed, your calprotectin would be much higher. So you've been supporting it in the best way that you can. But again, until you test and don't know, like you can take probiotics all day long. Probiotics is not going to fix this. No. Nope. And I have been. So yeah. I mean, ever, it's not going to fix any of it because you have to get rid of the bad bacteria. You have to support the digestive system. You have to build up the immune system again. Again, this is why I'm a big proponent of testing and not guessing because you just throw, like, if you just came to me, I was like, here, take some digestive enzymes here, take some probiotics. Oh, here, do like this 30 day cleanse. You're going to come back to me and say, like, I feel a little better, Eliza, but not that much better because we haven't fixed the original problem. All right. The next section is something called antibiotic resistance genes. Now this is solely related to the helicobacter pylori pathogen that you have. Now, if I was a practitioner who used antibiotics in my practice, um, I would look to this very heavily to see if you had antibiotic resistant genes. Like if that bacteria that you have in your stomach has an antibiotic resistance to a certain, um, antibiotic. I don't use antibiotics in my protocols because they kill other healthy, good bacteria in the gut and disrupt the gut further. Um, but if there was someone using them, they would look to this. You do not have antibiotic resistance genes for helicobacter pylori. Um, <clears throat> and the traditional modern medicine way of treating helicobacter pylori is two antibiotics in a proton pump inhibitor like Nexium um, or Protonix which has all these other consequences as well. So, okay. So that is your test. That is you what's happening with you, Wendy, that's your gut. Um, what questions do you have thoughts, concerns? Welcome to your gut. Um, <laughs> I would, my, I guess I, my question would be when I was 12 and I look back at my little bathing suit, my little Snoopy peanuts bathing suit, and I had the little gut and I was very conscious of it when I was 12. I probably started it back then. I was on antibiotics all the time for ear infections and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember doing rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds. And I think it probably started back when I was 12. Okay. I'm 55 now. Doesn't matter. Right. And so I think once you get that started and if you know, you have sinus infections and you get sick and you have accidents and things happen to you as you're growing up and in your early twenties, it just stays that way and just keeps staying that way. So well, here I this is actually what happens. And you bring up a very good point. I'm glad you brought up childhood because, you know, in your assessment, you didn't go back too far. Like you told me a couple things about your childhood, but maybe not so much about the antibiotics, but 
This is where when you see multiple rounds of antibiotics being used for non-life-threatening problems or severe infections, right? And I say that because antibiotics have their place and they are important for people and they have extended longevity for a lot of problems. But for instance, ear infections, um, for instance, strep throat in children under the age of three, for instance, I mean, all these other things. And you see these providers giving multiple rounds of antibiotics. And again, I'm not shaming them. They're using the tools that they have been given and that they've been taught to use. And they're trying to help people. You know, we are nobody in medicine is out there trying to hurt anybody. Right. <laughs> no, that's not the goal. And, but when you see that we're now understanding the severity of the consequences of multiple rounds of antibiotics, and these are long lasting. And you can see this, this is a process that starts early and it is pervasive and it is snowballing. So it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, especially if it's not corrected. And really what we should be doing are protocols for rebalancing re-inoculation of the gut after, if you do have to use antibiotics, okay, please take six months to 12 months of this specific probiotic. Now we have testing, right? We can look at the gut um, and do these different things for um, supporting the gut health after a round of antibiotics. Um, we just haven't known, right? And now we're starting to know and understand, but you see all of these children now that have had multiple rounds of antibiotics for ear infections, by the way, greater than 90% of ear infections will resolve on their own. Mm. Especially if there's no eustachian tube malformation. And, um, and you see these kids that have chronic ear infections that have chronic antibiotic use, and we are setting them up. Then you add into that, the pesticide usage in the food if parents can't afford, um, or don't have access to organic food, um, are eating a high processed, high sugar diet. Um, and remember a lot of kids are not breastfed anymore. And so you don't have, or high C-section rates. Remember we get our microbiome from the vaginal canal when we're born. If you are born via C-section, you get most of your microbiome from the mother's skin. And so what we're seeing is, and this is a really big conversation. Now I'm not a pediatric specialist. That is not my scope of practice, but what you're seeing is a calamity of errors, multifactorial things that I feel very strongly about that are affecting the health of a generation that literally are going to be suffering 30, 40, 50 years down the road are going to have skyrocketing rates of autoimmune diseases, which by the way, we're already seeing skyrocketing. Wow rates of cancer, by the way, we're already seeing, right. We know just breastfeeding alone reduces obesity rates, cancer rates, allergies, all of those things. And, but again, you have a population, this is, again, it's not a shaming thing. You have a population in America that's not supported. You don't have a workforce of mothers that are supported to breastfeed, you know, and you don't have proper like parental leave and to support the family. And so what you have a society that's used to grinding it out. And at some point that is going to make the health of a nation suffer. And we are seeing it right now. And we're seeing it amidst the pandemic as well, because people that are inflamed and unhealthy do worse when they get sick. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it all goes hand in hand. It's just, it's so, it's so tech. It's just, you know, it just makes sense. It's like, it just makes all much sense. And Very it's big. really hard. This is actually an emotional conversation, Wendy, because I have a lot of clients actually, they'll email me a couple of weeks in and they're like, Hey, I'm having some emotional stuff like happen. And I'm like, gut brain, emotional mind connection. You know, the first time that I ever learned about the gut instinct 
or the gut brain connection is in the early 2000s when I read the female brain book, amazing woman who studied the differences in the female brain from the male brain and Mm -hmm. learned about the gut instinct. Right. And, um, and so you'll see a lot of emotional things come up, especially when people start protocols and, and for you, as we're talking about your childhood and things, you know, that come up from that, like, this is very deep for you, right? Because you had insecurities about what you were going through. You had multiple rounds of antibiotics. And so it's almost like I tell people when you're entering the protocol, you are literally entering a healing journey. Like you have to rest, stress, very little process emotions, be kind to your body. Like I always tell people, make sure your spouse and partner is supporting you during the process. Like, you know, part of the protocol is like, I actually tell people don't do vigorous exercise, Pilates, stretching, yoga, walking, because that releases cortisol. And we're asking your body to go into a period of healing here. And if we hound it with cortisol, we know for a fact that certain bacteria that are good will not grow in a high cortisol environment, like a stressed environment. I have a question for you then. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, and I went to see a gal who's going to be on the podcast. Her name's April. She's a chiropractor and she, she is unique. I've been to many chiropractors in my life and she really kind of assesses, does balancing. It's creating the mind. She works with your mind, your brain, your nervous system to connect the strings, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was telling her about our conversation today and she's like, all right, so we're going to get your body and your mind able to accept what's, what you're going to be doing. And I'm going to need you to not get on your Peloton because I know that you want to look good for your daughter's wedding and you you're connect not- me to April. <laughs> you two are really meant to go hand in hand. I promise you are people like you and her. So she's like, I said, well, that's interesting. And the question I'm posing to you is I have been kind of like, Oh, I don't really want to get on my Peloton. I don't really want to go to the gym and lift and get my new, my new thing that Sebastian gave me at the gym, you know, all in this quest to, you know, be, be buffed up and ready for my daughter's wedding. Mm. Meanwhile, I feel like I'm, as I told you, an Oompa Loompa and (laughs) I'm just like, what's happening. So I'm not motivated. Like I'm still walking. I'm still doing yoga. I'm still doing the things like that, but it's interesting. I'm wondering, do you see this or do you think that my body was just kind of telling me to, you know, lay low, I can't handle what you're about to do. Don't do it. No, you're already under stress. (laughs) Look at the immune system of your gut. It's stressed. Like, remember this, we think about stress, like emotional stress, right? Like my children stress me out. I have three kids, right? I mean, my husband stresses me out sometimes because he needs stuff from me too. Like those sorts of things. No, you're under physical stress because you have these pathogens overgrown and your immune system is telling us we've been stressed for a while. And then you're going to go get on your Peloton. You're going to release a ton of the cortisol and ask your body to perform like, no, your body is saying, and your body's telling you a story always. Right. And so your body's saying, it's not even a motivation thing. It's like, I mean, you should feel that energy of like, I mean, sometimes I feel that energy. I want to run today. Like I need to run, you know? And like your body is saying, don't do that. Now, again, that's not like a laziness thing. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is like, your body right now, I can agree with you is probably not saying, don't stress me out. Don't lift heavy weights. Don't go to CrossFit. Don't peloton. Remember movement is the most important thing you can do for your body that actually promotes longevity, not getting on your peloton or going to CrossFit. Right. 
walking. Look at the people that are in Sardinia. They walk every single day. They're in a blue zone. Like they are constantly moving their bodies. Do you think they go to a gym there? They're like, they don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The modern gym is created yeah. because we have so little activity in our life. Like you just need to have activity and you're going to see in the lifestyle part of your protocol that we're going to focus on that. And so it'll actually release you from some of these like expectations that you have. And it's not that working on I me mean, working out with Sebastian is great. When your body is armed and ready, you're just going to tell Sebastian, listen, I need to like be on hold for like three or four months. So I finish this protocol. And then I'm going to come back because I know I'm going to have the energy and my body's going to be ready to build muscle. And I'm going to have the energy to do some, you know, hit workouts and do some strength building, get my body right. But like, you're a little bit sick, you know, like, I mean, when you're sick, you're down with the flu. Like, do you go work out? No, no your body's like rest. I mean, I used to, but that's back in the day. <laughs> so uh, very interesting. I wonder how many women out there, especially in the second wind, second half of life are feeling some kind of way. Right. And I wonder how much of it has to do with their gut. I really wonder. Well, I'm kind of biased, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, but I'm biased, right? Cause I focus on the gut a lot. But I would say this, I've never seen a GI map. Actually, my husband actually has the best GI map I've ever seen, just like baseline. Hmm. Well, lucky him. But I've never seen like a really quote unquote good GI map. Mine is finally getting there. And I've been working on mine for three years, you know, but obviously from my first protocol, like I healed tremendously, like my symptoms went away there's always things that disrupt us, right? Like I was pregnant for a year. I didn't do a ton of gut work because I couldn't. Right. And so again, it's like, it's an evolving process. It's always happening. But again, I would say everyone, this is why I'm a big proponent of doing this and doing like maintenance every couple of years and making sure your gut health is so good because it is the seat of so many things, immune system, emotions, like sleep. Remember melatonin is released from the pineal gland in the brain and from the gut sleep hormones. Yeah. We just talked about hormones, like all these different things and digestion and nutrient absorption. So again, in the ICU, I used to be drained lungs, heart, brain, all that matter. Right. right. I'm completely opposite now. I'm like, it's all about the gut, you know? And this is why you see a lot of providers and practitioners talking a lot about it because we're learning more and more, and we're really starting to pay more attention to an organ that we really actually have ignored for a long time. Well, there's lots of work to be done and I'm doing it. So I'm going to keep y'all posted because I am, again, your guinea pig. And I have started the whole 30. I'm in day four. It really hasn't been that bad for me, but I could see how it would really suck for some people. But I really believe it's worth it. The few days of uncomfortableness or a headache or whatever to get your, your gut in order and to get your life back. It's got to be worth it. And I've gotten some of my supplements and waiting for the rest, but I'm going ahead with everything. And when they come, they come and I will keep you posted. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope this helps. I, I just feel like it's gotta, it's gotta help so many people. And I'm so excited to share and have you share your stories with me. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. 
If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.